right, good morning. God bless you. You guys have uh, already got into it, already standing. Don't have to tell you. Come on, we stand around here for the Word of God, don't we? Honor God and His Word. Um, we're going to look at one verse this morning, then we're going to pray and get started. I uh, This is a subject that I've talked about off and on. Of course, it's going to be about grace. That's going to be new for us, but we'll try it. How about that? But proper order uh, and order in our lives is so important. And uh, there's a difference. Sometimes you wonder, you know, you look at people and maybe they go to the same church, they you know, love God, they're born again, and, and it just seems significantly different in the blessing that you see on one person's life that's visible and as compared to the other person, you wonder why that is. Sometimes you may feel like you're that person that's not, you know, receiving as, as you should or maybe as someone else does. And, and sometimes, you know, uh, unfortunately, it's because we're approaching God with an old, antiquated, outdated system, the Levitical system, instead of grace, which is the order of Melchizedek. When we say proper order, a lot of us know around here we're talking about you know, the order of Melchizedek. The Bible talks about that, although there's a lot of Christians that, number one, have never even heard of that, and number two, they really don't relate to God based on that. And, uh, and that's got everything to do with how God interacts with you because God can't endorse you seeking him under an old system that he has done away with. How many knows that we're in the New Testament in the New Covenant with God? And it, is, it really is new, and you can't relate to God based on the old because God doesn't deal with us in regard to the old any longer. The cross changed everything. And David found that out one time, even though he was under the law. Uh, in First Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 13, I just want to read this one verse where he uses that actual phrase, proper order. He says, for because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us, and that, that broke out against us means made a breach um, because we did not consult him about the proper order. I think the NIV says we didn't do it in the prescribed manner or the prescribed way or according to the way that God was relating to them at that time. David uh, really just really, you know, he didn't do it on purpose, just being ignorant of the way to approach God. David was not a priest in the sense that, you know, he was a king. But David was somebody uniquely uh, typifying the Messiah in the fact that David was eventually walked in, you know, into the prophetic. He was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was a king. But under the old covenant, you couldn't be a priest and a king. If a king tried to do priestly things, I mean, some bad things happened, they died. Uh, you didn't merge those two offices. You couldn't do those two things. And, and to be a priest, you had to be born of one tribe. What tribe was that? The Levites. And uh, David was not a Levite, was he? What tribe was David born in? Judah. What tribe was Jesus born in? So Jesus couldn't be a priest then. Now we're getting interested. Under the old system, Jesus could not be a priest. In other words, Jesus couldn't be in the ministry because he was born wrong. He wasn't born in the proper tribe. Only Levites could be in the ministry, right? So I believe God's trying to really tell us something here. 
And, and yet the New Testament church relates to Jesus as our high priest. But he's not a high priest of the Levitical system because he can't be. Nobody ever was a priest unless they were born in the Levitical tribe. And that's why it's so significant that we get that and that we relate to God based on that. Okay? I'm going to let you be seated because I want to pray. And I don't want you thinking about how long I'm praying or how short I'm praying. But I do want you to join me in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we gather today in your name. And we love you and we're loved by you. And we're always amazed at, that, at your grace, Father. And I pray today that, that as we come, that we're not just logging another day, another service. But we pray today, Father, that in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that our minds would be renewed, that they would be an illumination, Lord God, that we would see you in a dimension that we've not seen previously. I pray today that you would cause this people to be prophesied to as the word of the Lord goes forth, that they may be comforted, that they may be edified and built up and strengthened and encouraged. And I pray that Jesus would be glorified today in our lives, in that that we do and how we live. And I pray, Father, that the grace of God that is within us will be released through us to this world that so desperately needs to know you as a loving Heavenly Father, full of grace, mercy, and truth. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, it, it, it's, it's really too big to jump on, but I'm going to try to give you a concise review of what the Bible talks about that David did. Now, how many knows the Ark of the Covenant represented in the old system, the old Levitical system, as close to God as a person could get? The only people that ever saw the Ark of the Covenant was the high priest. And that was only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he would go in beyond the, the, the veil, as it's called, the, the veil that separated the holiest of all, or the holy of holies, as it was called, from the holy place. And, and he would go in and offer blood, sacrifice for sin on the mercy seat. The mercy seat was that gold lid, the covering. And on top of the mercy seat was two cherubims, these angelic creatures looking and beholding the mercy of God. And the Ark of the Covenant, that box that uh, contained the commandments of Moses, the, the law in other words. And they was also in there Aaron's rod that budded supernaturally uh, and bore fruit in one night. Uh, this is too long to explain all of those. And then there was a jar of manna that they had placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, and then that was sealed, and it was to never be opened, and it contained the law of God, uh, the Ten Commandments, if you will, that were handwritten uh, initially by God in stone, and then that tablets, those tablets were broken, and Moses had to go back up on the mountain, and this time he, he got to use a hammer and chisel to do it. And, and, uh, and, but that Ark of the Covenant, that place represented the, as close to God as a person could possibly get. And, uh, and so under the priesthood, uh, you'd have to go to 1 Samuel 3 and 4 to see this, but under the priesthood there was a priest named Eli. Remember that guy? And he had two sons that were in the ministry. They were all Levites. They were, their names were Hophni and Phinehas. And, uh, and the Bible actually calls them uh, sons of the devil, 
Belial, means Satan. And uh, they were committing adultery at the temple. Uh, they, they were abusing their positions. Uh, they were abusing uh, the people in all kind of ways. In fact, in one place, the, the, the people would bring their offerings. And, and in those days, one of the offerings they would bring was a meat offering. And they would bring the offering, and the priest was instructed under the Levitical system to take that meat. And all this is symbolic and sacrificial system, and, and they were to, to place it in the fire. Or, in, or, or not in the fire, but into a boiling cauldron, it's called. And, and they would let it boil, and then they were to take a three-pronged fork. Now, all of you have seen this fork. Uh, you would call it, if you saw it, you would call it Satan's pitchfork. You ever seen it? It's a long fork, real long, about as tall as me, with three prongs. Okay, now the church, if they saw that, they don't even recognize it anymore. They would say that's what Satan carries in order. You know, people dress up like that at Halloween, you know, with the, with the tights and the ponytail and all that deal. That's actually one of the instruments out of the Levitical system. And they would, to drop that meat in a boiling cauldron, and they would, the priest, after it boiled a while, would take that long three-pronged fork, which represented God, the Trinity, and they would thrust it into that meat, and the portion that stayed on the fork was the priest's portion to sustain them and that they were to eat, and uh, the rest would be sacrificed to God. Well, Hophni and Phinehas, what they started doing was they, they would intercept the people as they were bringing the meat offering, and they would, just, they would say, give us the meat that we may roast. In other words, we want to go out back and barbecue it, and, you know, and, and uh, the people would say, don't do that. Don't defile the offering. And, they, and, the, and these guys, these, these are the ministers now, these guys would say, if you don't give it to us, we'll take it by force. That's called taking up an offering. We'll take it by force. We don't take offerings around here, we receive them. And so they, they would take it by force. Now, an interesting point in this is that as corrupt as all that was, I mean, you see, that's really bad church, okay? God never told the people to stop giving. And in fact, it said that they would be sinning against God. Now, I'm talking under the Levitical system if they stopped. But God knows how to deal with, with his folk. Now, we're, again, you've got to keep in mind now, this story I'm telling you is old, old covenant system, Levitical system, and I'm going to bring us into the new. But I, I want you to understand the journey. One day Israel gets in the battle. They're losing the battle with the Philistines. Hophni and Phinehas have the wrong idea. They think it's a bright idea. Let's take the Ark of the Covenant out of the temple and let's carry it out on the battlefield and that way we'll win. So they took the, the Ark of the Covenant and they marched out into the battlefield with it. And when the children of Israel saw the Ark of the Covenant coming, now of course it would be draped with a cloth. So they didn't actually see the ark, right? Because if you looked at the ark, you died. Okay? Indiana Jones, you saw what happened to the German dude that pulled the lid off. I mean, it's not pretty. Okay? So they, they died. So it would be covered with three layers of badger skins and all that. But they, they knew it was the ark because it had these long poles and these Levites are carrying it. And, when, and the Bible said that in, in 1 Samuel 4 that when they saw the ark of the covenant coming into the to the battlefield that says all of Israel shouted with the shout so loud that the ground shook. But the shout 
that they shouted would silence would be silenced quickly as that same ground that shook from their shouting soaked up their blood and they lost the battle because see they saw God as a thing as a get out of jail free card God's the spare tire we don't talk about him we don't worship him we don't fool with him unless we need him people relate to God like that today they don't need God unless the doctor says terminal all of a sudden now we've got to get the spare tire out all of a sudden we've got to get God out the trunk and out in the front and then we go into what we think is faith which is not faith at all it's desperation and God doesn't respond to desperation God only responds to faith The Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines, which are not God's people under the old system. Israel is God's people. Now, something as holy as God's presence on the earth doesn't set well with those folks because they start breaking out with tumors and cancers and boils, and they're, they're not having a good time at all, okay, just because it's in their presence, because unholy can't mess with holy. All right, so the Ark of the Covenant is gone. And it's gone for years, many years. They want to get rid of it because it's causing them problems, the Philistines. So what they do is they build a, a cart, a wooden cart, and they put the ark on the cart. And they said that this God of these Israelites, this is a weird situation, but we're going to see if this is why we're getting sick here. And, and so they took two nursing mama cows. All this is in the Bible. Is it okay if I just tell you the story? So they took two mama cows and took the calves away from them. And they put the calves in the stall. They hooked the mama cows to the ox, uh, to the cart, put the Ark of the Covenant on it, and pointed it toward Israel. And they said that if, this, if these mama cows will leave their babies bleeding for them from the stall and carry that thing back to Israel, we'll know that that God is real and this thing's real. And that's exactly what happened. And those mama cows transported that Ark by themselves all the way back to the land of Israel. And when they got there, it still didn't go back to the temple. It went to one of the Levitical houses, and it remained there for years. Now, what happens is Saul becomes king of Israel. Saul never does seek after the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, so in the temple, they still go through all the priests are doing their whole, you know, thing, and they're doing kumbaya, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus kind of deal. You understand what I'm saying? But there's no presence of God a lot of people don't care if the presence of God is involved or not. Most people would be shocked if God's presence really did manifest in their church. Now, God's presence is everywhere, but God's manifested presence is not everywhere. There's a difference. David, when he becomes king, the first thing on his agenda is, I got to get that ark back where it belongs. And, and David said, this one thing I have desired, one thing that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's all David desired. He wasn't desiring to be the greatest king of Israel. He wasn't desiring to be the greatest musician, although he was a great musician. He was such a musician that when Saul was king and being tormented by the demonic spirits, they would send for young David, and David would come and play on the harp and sing these prophetic songs, and the Bible says the demonic spirits would leave Saul. And that's how they first met, Saul and David. Now, David becomes king, and he says, i got to get the ark back where it belongs. So what David does is he builds the best wooden cart that could be built. 
and he, he, he goes after the ark, and he places the ark on a wooden cart. And, and the Bible says, man, they got the praise going, and they're worshiping God, and they're dancing, and they're twirling. And, I mean, it's, it's an awesome sight. It's a, it's a procession as it's trying to come back to Israel, to, to, to Zion. It's where David wants to bring it. Uh, they get to this place called Nicar. It's a threshing place. It's a low place. Anyway, the, the point of the story is that the oxen, the Bible said, stumbled. And the oxen almost fell, and when they did, the ark almost tipped off of the wooden cart. And a guy named Uzzah, Uzzah, U-Z-Z-A, he touches the ark with his bare hand to stabilize it, and it says he was killed instantly. Instantly. And when that happened, that brought the praise service to an end, I can tell you that. Now, the Bible says two things that David responded like that. He said he was angry. And he was afraid of God that day. And David made a critical mistake because David didn't just set out on that own. If you read the chapter in 1 Chronicles 13 where this story begins, uh, David inquired in verse 1 with everybody, you know, all the priesthood and everybody, was this the right thing to do? And they said, yeah, let's go get it. Yeah, they all wanted to go get it. They just did a right thing. It, it was the right thing to go get it, right? But they did it the wrong way. So you can do something right, but you can do it the wrong way. And it still could have disastrous results. So it blows David's mind. He, he don't understand. He's like, God, I thought you wanted I mean, you know, he just don't get it. And so he doesn't touch it. And they turn aside and, and they, they uh, go into this other Levitical guy's house named Obed-Edom. And, and he takes care of the ark. And it said the Lord blessed his house and all that he had. And it stays there for three months. Now, the Bible said David went back to the palace. David is confused. He don't know what in the world's going on. And it said this, he searched out the word of God for 90 days. He spent 90 days trying to figure out why it did not work. And after 90 days, he had a prophetic revelation that is recorded in the Psalms. And what he saw and very few people saw this. Abraham saw it. Abraham met Melchizedek in Genesis 14. Remember that? The priest called Melchizedek. And, and that was none other than a pre-incarnated visit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Hebrews 7 says that, the pre, that Melchizedek doesn't have beginning nor ending. He doesn't have mother and father as we've known. He, it's God. You can read that Hebrews 7 to a, to, a, to a fifth grader, and they'll tell you that's talking about Jesus. And Abraham met him, and he had that revelation. And that revelation was so strong with him, he could offer up Isaac in obedience to God and knew that if he did kill Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead. And now another person that gets it is David. And David said he had a revelation about the order of Melchizedek, and it, that God showed him that he was a, they would be a new eternal priesthood that already existed before the Levitical priesthood existed. And this eternal priesthood would be always how God would relate to man, and that there was a new covenant coming. He said, and he, God said, I swear to you, I have sworn to you after the order of Melchizedek to be a priest forever. And David got a revelation, and David did something that was totally unique Totally gone, totally supernatural, but, but he realized that he had mishandled the ark. Now, where do you think David got the idea to put the ark on a wooden cart? 
who, who, who had previously put the ark on a wooden cart? The, Phil, the Philistines, the world, the non-godly. The church often copies what the world is doing because it's easier to copy what the world is doing than it is to seek God for proper order. Amen, Pastor Dale, preach. I'm sure David's cart was really good, well-built, ornate, the best. It's king of Israel. He has access to it all. A cart is made up of boards and big wheels. The church long ago turned over the order of God to boards, committees, and big wheels. But the big wheels in the church and boards and committees that are man-made will not be allowed to transport the glory of God the way God desires it to be manifested. Y'all just let me know when I say anything is good. But it, but it said that the ark must be transported. And this was already written in the Bible prior to David doing the wooden cart thing. He just was ignorant of it. And the thing that happens to a lot of us is there's things that's already there in the Word of God. But we, I don't mean this in a bad way. I'm just saying we're just ignorant of those things. And we, we, we're trying to do a right thing, but we do it not with proper order. And, and so now David says... The Lord broke out a breach against us. When Yuza died, it was a breach. Now, I was a paramedic for 20 years. I had the unfortunate opportunity to deliver several babies in the back of the hamlets or in the homes. And I said unfortunate because I didn't enjoy it. But I had to. It's not like you deliver them. You just kind of like catch them. <laughs> Mama delivers them. You just happen to be there to catch if you're good. I've, I've been placed in the back of an ambulance one time and uh, it, was a pre, it was a premature delivery so they were concerned and they said go to Macon to the intensive you know, center there at Macon. Had a special neonate unit there. They were fearful that there were going to be problems with the baby once it did arrive and the mama was already in labor. And I remember you know, leaving the hospital in Tifton at 3 o'clock in the morning and the, and the OBGYN doctors you know, guaranteed us that we would make it to Macon. What a liar he was. <laughs> he lied. And so in the back of the ambulance, Mama delivered that baby before we ever got to Macon. And everything worked out good. But it was, uh, I was not liking that doctor for a few moments. But the reality is he didn't know. Now, a, a breech baby is a baby that's not coming head first, which is the proper way. So they could be coming with a foot or an arm, and that's very scary. Could be critical for the life of the baby. Now, I'm, I'm saying but a breech baby, you don't throw the breech baby away because there's nothing wrong with the baby. We're just not lined up properly. Now, God was saying that there's a breach here, but... The problem is not David wanting the ark. We're just not doing it head first. Jesus is the head of the church. 
Jesus is the head of the church. And, and he has to come first. Then comes the shoulders and the arms and the legs. Now the ark was to be transported on the shoulders of Levi because God wants you to feel the weight of that. They had these long poles and they would rest it on their shoulders and they would transport it in that, in that fashion. That was the Levitical way. So David now after 90 days, he's got, he saw in the word of God where he made a critical error and now uh, he goes after it again. I, I love David because he don't quit and he don't give up. And he just says, I still got to get that ark home to Zion. Now, there were two churches going on simultaneously. And today, there are primarily two churches going on. There is the house of Saul and there is the house of David. The Bible says the house of Saul is growing weaker and weaker, but the house of David is growing stronger and stronger. Acts chapter 15, God prophesies in there and says, in the last days I will raise up the fallen tent of David. That's my desire is to bring back the Davidic house and the Davidic worship and, the, and everything that David got to taste of in that time. David, though he lived in a, in a, under the Levitical law, God allowed him, so prophetic example to us, he, he, he did something amazing that should have got a lot of people killed. Uzzah just touched the ark, and he didn't even touch the ark. He touched the badger skins that covered the ark, and he died instantly. And he was a Levite. But you didn't touch it. It's like putting your hand on God. Unholy can't touch holy. You die. God don't kill you. You just die. Electricity don't have a mind to kill you. Electricity's not saying, you touch me, I'll kill you right here. But you can touch electricity and die. See the difference? So David goes, they transport the ark, and they're going down the road, and there is the Mosaic tabernacle, Mosaic temple. Now they've been having church there for a long time, and there's been no ark behind no no ark of the covenant behind the curtain anyway. So they're used to having church with no presence. They're fine with that. David doesn't turn and head to the Mosaic church. No, he carries it all the way to Zion, to Israel, to Jerusalem. It's called Zion. It's called grace. David does something so strange. He has a, a tent, a tent, just a white linen tent. And he erects a tent, and he has them to transport the ark inside that tent, and they put it on the ground in the tent. And then David does something that should have got everybody killed. He tells them to uncover it. And they uncovered it. And nobody died. And I suspect that David himself was the first one to walk into that tent and to behold the ark that they'd only ever heard about. For only the high priest had ever seen it. Even the high priest was terrified to go into the ark, even on the Day of Atonement. And there is a rumor, it's not in the Bible at all, but there is the rumor that circulates widely that they would tie a rope and even if the high priest did die, they could drag his body out. In other words, if he did it wrong in there, had, he would die. A lot of fear in that. He puts it in the tent, and listen to me. 
for 40 years, it stayed there. And you had two churches going on. You had David's Davidic church. And, and by the way, listen, David's church got so popular, they had to go 24 hours a day worship. 24 hours a day. Now, a lot of churches have tried it. I've even tried it a few times back when I pastored at Cornerstone. It's exhausting. But if God's presence is really rolling, that's your energy. And it was an amazing time. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment the Old Testament hero. He don't have to be David, but we're talking about him. But, you, you, you know, you imagine like you could be one of those guys. David, Daniel, maybe you want to be Esther. And, if you know, the presence of God and how they walked with God and how they obeyed God and did with God. And, 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 and you might even be willing to to swap your life with God now if you could have that, that life. And if, and if that's the way you feel about that, then I could not agree with you less. Did you hear what I said? I couldn't agree with you less. In a million lifetimes, I would never want to swap my life and my relationship with God with, with what David had or what Daniel had or what Abraham had or what Esther had, or anybody else had. Because I have it a million times better than they did. And the Bible says so. Because they would only experience God's presence for moments and times, and then he would depart off of them. And he never could remain on any of them. That's why one time when David really screwed up with Bathsheba, he said, Lord, in Psalm 51, take not thy presence from me. Because he knew what it was like to feel the presence of God, and then he knew what it was like to feel the presence of God off of him. And he didn't want to feel that. But you and I, born again, have the presence of God abiding in us. And yet there are so much of the church that don't know that. This week I have read so many things on social media, on Facebook, that, that, that Christian people post, and, and they are so sincere, and my heart goes out to them, and there was a time in my life I was one of them, so I have great mercy. But I read things like this, and I'm not making any of this up, but I read things like, we pushed, this is quote, we pushed our way into another level tonight. They pushed their way. What were they pushing? And how did they know when they got there? And they were encouraging people to come back the, the next night so they could push their way into a higher level. And there was all these talks and all these admonitions about to break through and to push your way in and, 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 and knock a hole in the heavens and all that. Stuff. And, and when I read those things, I just, I just want to cry for those people. And they are busy as bees. And boy, when they leave church, they are sweated down. And they feel like they, but you get the same thing if you go to a gym. But you're not pushing your way. It's all a mental game. It's in your head. There's no higher level than God's put you in Christ. 
I read in that same, those same group of people posting on it, they were saying, you know, tonight, Lord, we just want more of you. And everybody was commenting, yeah. But, and that's why I wrote in my book a whole chapter on the myth of more. Because there's no more that God can give you than Jesus. And God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus already. And you have the fullness of God deposited in you and God's in you and Christ in you. That's the hope of glory and you're in Christ and you're a new creation. And, 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 and listen, I get it. And, and, this, and this is the balance to what I just said. Because that sounds like don't do nothing. I'm all for seeking God. I believe in that. I'm, 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 I'm all for spending time with God, reading God's word, worshiping God, hanging out with God, but I don't do it from a position of trying to get God to do something or take the, the bucket and pour something on me. I, I have the fullness of God. Now, God, John 4 said, God is a spirit. And them that worship him must worship him in spirit. And the truth, and the truth is that God don't relate. Spirit relates to spirit. Cows talk to cows. Chickens talk to chickens. And horses talk to horses. And I've had and owned all three. And even other things. I've had goats. I've had all, when my kids were growing up, they got, they got what they wanted. And, 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 but, but I noticed that the horses and the cows didn't really communicate very well. And the chickens and the cows didn't communicate well at all. And sometimes it would rain, and we had a little goat. You know, we, we named him a unique name. We called him Billy. How, how, how about that? And, and, uh, and it, I'm not making this up. And he would literally, sometimes it would be raining, and the horses would be standing, and the, the rain's coming this way, a horse will stand this way, and the wind's hitting them from the back. You know, they got a little sense. And the, and the goat would come and get under the tallest horse and use them as a shelter. And the horse would be like looking at him, you know. And sometimes they'd kick him out from under there. God is a spirit. God is a spirit, so spirit communicates with spirit. Now, when you are not saved, you are dead spiritually. The Bible says so. But when you got born again, you became spiritually alive unto God. So your spirit is alive. And in fact, your spirit was merged with, the, with God's spirit. For the Bible says, for anybody that is, is, is of his is one spirit with the Lord. One spirit. Your spirit has been merged with God, and now you are one with the Lord in spirit. Now, your spirit is just like Jesus because God put you in Jesus. God couldn't put a trashy, dead, sinful, rotten, lustful spirit into Jesus. Because it would make him that. So your spirit has been created, Ephesians 4, perfect. God has perfected forever those who are in Christ. That's why I make this statement. I've made it many times. It aggravates people. Somebody said, well, we're not all perfect. Well, you better be because the only people going to heaven are perfect people. And even if I, as I say this now, I look at some of your faces and that, that derails you. You think God grades on the curve. You think as long as I try hard, as long as I do my best, God do the rest. None of that's true. You got to make a hundred. You got to make a hundred. And if you don't, if you make 99, you fail. Hell is your home. 
God requires perfection. That's what Hebrews teaches us. It says none of the sacrifices under the Levitical system they offered, the blood of lambs, goats, and stuff, were able to make those who brought the sacrifice perfect. God's goal has always been you've got to be perfect. Now, I get it. None of us in here are perfect in our outward manifestation. But in our spirits, we're perfect. We're pound for pound, molecule for molecule, exactly like Jesus. The Bible says in 1 John 4, as he is Jesus, so are we in this world. I'm as righteous as I'm ever going to be. I'm as saved as I'm ever going to be. I'm as holy as I'm ever going to be. All of that was gifted to me when I got born again. Now, where does that reside? In my spirit. Now, you don't see my spirit, but my spirit, because my spirit is covered with a soul, which is my mind, my will, and my emotions, which those things have been really rattled and messed up. And then outside of that, that's covered with a fleshly body, and you know, what you see is what you get. So I am triune in the example of God. God is God, one God manifested in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I am one person, but yet I am three, spirit, soul, and body. The New Testament teaches that clearly. Even though I am here, I relate in different personalities. To, to my granddaughter there, I'm her grandfather. My wife, I am her husband. To my children, I'm their dad, but yet I'm still one person, but I relate in different manifestations. Don't get scared, you know, all messed up about the Trinity. I told you, you've seen an egg before, right? That's the Trinity. Every time you crack an egg, go, ooh, Holy Ghost, Trinity, hallelujah. Because you have egg, how, somebody, how can three things be this different but the same? Egg, egg the shell, egg the yolk. Egg to white. It's all egg. You can separate all three of those and lay them out on the table. They look different, but it's still an egg. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's, it's different, but it's the same because it's God. We don't have three gods. We have one God, O Israel, and hear ye from him. We have one God, one God. And, 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 and if you're sitting there going, well, I don't understand it still, it's okay. Just believe in him. It's, it's just believe in him. It's not a figuring out a head thing. It says, with the heart man believeth. Not with the head man figureth out. With the heart man believeth, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. With the heart man believeth, and with the heart as he believes. Although that come to him and believe in him, they have the right to become the sons of God. So you relate to God because God's a spirit. So guess what part of you God relates to? Your spirit. Because you got perfection, work connected perfection. You got wholeness with wholeness, righteousness with righteousness. And your righteousness is not something you achieved, it's something you received. It was the gift. Romans teaches that clearly. It's the gift of righteousness. You don't achieve it. You don't try hard. You don't hang in there. You don't do better. God don't get seventy's not passing. God don't relate to you based on your performance anymore. He did it under the Levitical system. Thank God we're in the new covenant. That's why I wouldn't swap places with David, wouldn't swap places with Abraham, and none of those guys. Now that thing blew up big time in David's face, but he brought that ark back. He put it in a tent. An amazing thing, nobody died. And I tell you, when the word got out in Israel, 
that you could actually, as a normal, regular human being. See, David wanted to be close to God, but again, he was born in the wrong tribe, tribe of Judah. He could never be in the ministry. He could never get within so many feet of the ark. Yet David's heart, he wanted to be close. And why did David want to be close to the ark? Not because it was some trinket, because it represented God's manifested presence. And that's what David was hungry for. And, 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 and so David got to have the ark there uncovered. And the most amazing supernatural thing, nobody died. And the reason they went to 24-hour worship seven days a week is because they had to. I don't know if you heard about these revivals that's gone on even in America and even in, in, in Toronto, the, uh, the, the Toronto Vineyard revival that went on for years, Brownsville Assembly of God down in, in uh, Pensacola, of Florida, went on for years. Uh, and, and, and these places and, and, and other different revivals where seemingly these houses of Obed-Edom spiritually would pop up and they would, they would be word that the manifested presence of God was going on. And, man, people would go there. And for years they would line up and they would be there, you know, hours and hours and hours ahead. And, 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 and there, there are people that are hungry for God. And it's okay not because you're la but you just want to be in that atmosphere of manifested presence of God. David typified the grace of God because people would sin, which they all had it, because the old covenant did not remove people's sins. It simply covered them and shoved them forward, right? Imagine all these people, no matter what tribe you're born in, could come to that tent, see the Ark of the Covenant, get close to the presence of God and not die. People would sin, would, would sin in their life, would come and not die. It was an amazing thing. Now Hebrews tells us that God wants us to approach him boldly. God says that he wants us to come with confidence and to boldly approach God. How do you approach God? Do you do it like you heard your grandpa pray? Oh Lord, thou Godest in heavenest, we come to you as humbly as we know how. Have mercy on us. Forgive us of our sin. See, to do all that is to imply that he hadn't. And you actually don't realize it, but you're calling God a liar. Imagine that I had a little uh, uh, birthday. We were having a birthday party for my granddaughter there. And so uh, we're having her, her birthday party. The focus is on her. It's all about her. We're celebrating her. We have a cake for her. We got presents for her. And you're there, or there's somebody there, and, and, and they want to talk. They want to say something. Pastor, can I say something? I just want to say that I'm so sorry for my sins and the way I've lived. And that, they just go into it, you know. That takes the tension off of her, right? And it puts it on this person, and it really puts it on their sin. Wouldn't that be like slightly inappropriate time and place or whatever? You know what I'm saying? Okay, so here you come before God. First thing you want to talk about is your sin. Which Jesus came and he took away the sin of the world, which, by the way, included all of yours and even the ones you hadn't committed yet. 
is true whether you say amen or not. It's true. He didn't take away sins, plural. He took away sin, noun. He who knew no sin didn't become sins. He became sin. And Jesus took away the sin of the world, which included yours. If you don't believe in future forgiveness of sin, then you're all lost. Because all your sins 2,000 years ago were future. So if Jesus didn't deal with future sins, then we all lost. Let's go eat a burger because we're on the way to hell. Stop playing games. See how ridiculous that argument is? That you would have to confess each one and keep a track record and it's just it's religion. You, you, religion sees God as out yonder. Religion says God's up there. That's why we have to push our way to get to him. Because he's, he's way out there in the galaxies. And between us and God is all kind of demons and we've got to fight our way through all them. When the Bible says God's in your heart, God's in your spirit. God's not out there, God's right here. You're not trying to get a prayer through out yonder. You, all, you, all you're doing is just talking to God because he's there with you. you. You don't pray to God, you pray with God. Religion says, I'm in earth, I, got, I look towards, I, my, my perspective is earth towards heaven. Grace is heaven towards earth perspective. I look at earth, but I'm looking at it from heaven now, not from earth to heaven. I'm not trying to wait till I die, see if I made it. Won't it be wonderful there, having no burdens over yonder in the glory land by and by after a while? Mama and them. None of that. See, those songs stir up your emotions, make you cry. Got nothing to do with your spirit. You can't improve on what God's done. You're born again. You think God made you? If God's the one that's the author of your birth, you think he birthed you defiled? Hallelujah. Man, y'all are quiet in here today. It's a little journey. <laughs> so God's relating to you, and he wants you to come boldly because God sits on the throne of grace. God's not your judge because sin has already been judged and Jesus bore the judgment. Jesus bore the punishment. God doesn't relate to you in that way anymore. But much of the church today, unfortunately, still relates to God with a mixture. See, under the Levitical system, there was a mixture of law. I mean, there, in other words, there, there's, there's, there's curses and blessings. There's a mixture. Deuteronomy 28, 29, bless, there's blessings and cursing. There's a mixture. Under grace, nothing but blessing. Which one you want? <laughs> That's why grace is amazing. Do you know I attended church almost over a decade, never heard one message on the new covenant or grace? Not one. Not one in 10 years, in a decade, did I ever hear one message with the whole focus on the grace of God and what that accomplished. Not one. Not one. And the only time I ever heard grace mentioned in my church is when the preacher would say, you know, you can't be sliding in on this greasy grace, he called it. And he would always, it would be full of threatenings. 
And I told you, and I did a blog, my last little blog I did some weeks ago, I, I just called it Bullies with Bibles. Unfortunately, and, and, you know, because we got a lot of pulpits that's filled with bullies with a Bible. And they threaten people and they take verses out of context and they reach into the old covenant and, and they try to just scare the hell out of you, hoping you'll be made righteous. I mean, pre and preachers in not far from here, I mean, I've, I've had 20 or 30 of their people say that he would constantly threaten them. Don't make me roll you down front. It was one of his favorite statements. Don't make me roll you down front. And I asked these precious people sitting in my office that told me, I said, what does that mean? They said that means that we'll be in a casket, that we would be judged for our sin and be killed, and he'd have to preach our funeral. And they said that's one of his favorite statements. They say he says it all the time. Don't, don't make me roll you down front. Isn't that a wonderful church to go to where you're being threatened with death every Sunday? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's praise Jesus. Let's take up an offering. That's not who God is. That's not what grace is. And God says, I want you to not to cast aside your confidence, and I want you to approach me boldly. Now, I'm ending with this. Listen to me. How in the world can you approach God boldly? Now, I, I, I'm, I am for humble. But the grandpa prayer, Lord, I come to you as humbly as I know how, is not Hebrews prayer. God said, I want you to come boldly. Now, how can you do both? Because my humility is not based, my humility is I'm humbled by the fact that Jesus paid it all. He, he paid it all. So I don't have to, I don't come to God boldly, I mean humbly, I come boldly. I don't, boldly is not arrogantly. The Bible said the righteous are bold as a lion. Who's bold? Righteous people. But that's the only kind of prayers God hears. For the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. If you're not righteous, God don't even hear your prayers. Who's righteous? Everybody's born again. How'd they get it? It was a gift. So a righteous man is not that one dude in your church that you think lives close to God. You're righteous. And you've got to start seeing yourself as you are in Christ Jesus. And then when you see yourself in that way, that, that, there's a humility that comes with that. That's not an arrogance. And you approach God with a boldness that I'm not coming based on anything that Dale's done or anything that I have accomplished or any work that I've done or any behavior that I've achieved. I'm coming based on the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been bought with the price of the blood of Jesus. I'm coming in with that boldness. I'm coming in with that confidence. And, and, and I don't come crawling in as a snake. Even on my worst day, I still come in as a son. I know that God has forgiven me of all my sin, even the ones I hadn't done yet. Because he took away the sin issue. And he forgave the world of sin, not just the church. And he removed the sin of the world. He took it away. And so now that's not between me and God anymore. And, and so God don't want you to be sin conscious, Hebrews says. He wants you to be righteousness conscious. He don't want you to come in and with guilt and shame and condemnation, which those things are still real, but they, 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 do, not, they do not originate with God. They originate with the enemy. God never used shame to get you to tighten up. Shame on you. I can't believe you did this. Look at what you did. That's not grace. I'm sorry, that's not grace. When, when you do screw up and you feel shame and guilt and condemnation, but if you're around grace people or in a grace church, you won't get, look what you did. You'll go, look what Jesus did. 
Look what he did for that. He's got a remedy for that. He paid a price for that. He, he, he suffered for that. So get your eyes back on Jesus and off of your sin, and, 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 and you'll, you'll, you'll walk out of that because that's not who you are. You're the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. You're the righteousness of God. And so you live differently. You live from a different perspective. You, you see things differently. Jesus said in John, in Matthew 3, he said, he told Nicodemus, you, you got to be born again. It, it, it's a must. You must be born again. He said, because if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. See, you've been born into a kingdom, but I wonder if you see the kingdom. Can't have a kingdom unless you've got a king. See, and, 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 how, and how you relate to God is, 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 is really based on how you see. And being born again gave you a new perspective. It gave you new eyes. Gave you a, a, a new heart. So how, how you know you, you, you're seeing things pro appropriately is you don't see them the way that you used to see them. Uh, the new birth opens up so many possibilities. And what happens to us is we start seeing impossible things as possible. And see, the power of religion to hold people, it, it, all religion does is serves as a substitute for the kingdom of God. And, and, and Jesus, listen, Jesus did not leave heaven, come to earth to become a man to start a new religion called Christianity. And, you, and you've heard me say that, but that's the truth. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He, he, he had no religion to start. Jesus came to give us life. Uh, religion is what man does until he really discovers the kingdom of God. Um, religion has this focus. Now, look, look at this correlation. I'm going to be done. Religion prepares a man to leave the earth. Which when you die, you'll go to heaven. That's how religion approaches it. But the kingdom of God, in other words, the grace of God, empowers a man to have dominion while he lives on the earth. To totally different. Religion is man trying to reach up as hard as he can to God. That's why these people always are trying to press through, push through, break through, fight through, get a prayer through. But the grace of God, the kingdom of God, is God came down to man. We didn't have to fight our way to him. God came to us. And, and a matter of fact, he, he so come to us that he lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Religion is lived with an earth towards heaven perspective. But grace is life lived with a heaven towards earth perspective. Now, Ephesians says when you get born again, you are seated with Christ where? How could a person who's, who is seated in heavenly places think of themselves any longer as a sinner? You live in heaven. I know I freaked people out over the years, you know, before, because they're talking about, you know, about going to heaven. And, what, and I'll just say, you know, it's got to be the right person, right time, right environment. But I'll say, I'm already there. I've had to say some look like you sure are, brother. You know, you're mentally. But what I mean is the Ephesians thing. And they say, you know, don't you, don't you, brother Dale, don't you hope you'll make it to heaven when you die? I said, I'm already there. And they'll say, You're already there. I said, Yeah, I'm already there. I done made it. Done got it made in the shade. 